The Matt Hasselbeck Show, presented by Infinity of Bellevue and Linwood. Seahawks legend Matt Hasselbeck takes you inside the Seahawks and the NFL for a full hour, exclusively on the Mike Sox Show. Good morning, Matt. How are we doing today? Hey, good morning. How are you? I'm good. Uh, I got so much football to talk with you, but I, I don't think we can do any of it until at least starting by talking about John Madden. He's just such a important figure in, in the business that we're all in in some way, shape, or form. And obviously, you've been in it almost your entire life. What did John Madden mean to you? Yeah, he's an icon, a legend. I mean, I don't get... Um you know, I don't necessarily get nervous meeting celebrities or anything like that. But uh, when I remember the first time that I ever met him and I remember the last time that I saw him, I mean, it's he's just one of those people who just had such an impact on, I think, every football fan. Think of like my dad and my grandfather's generation. They know John Madden as the coach. You know, my generation, we know him as the broadcaster and, you know, him and Pat Summerall every day was incredible. I mean, it was part of the reason that I just absolutely loved the game of football so much. And then you think of the next generation who, you know, they think of them of the game and they'll all always remember him from the game, the video game. But uh, just an incredible guy, you know, to spend time with him and, you know, having sat in many, many production meetings with him and his team and even even having called games for Fox to hear you know, the, the stories about John Madden, uh, how he treated people, how he understood the games, how he knew the difference between the high end, high end zone away camera and the high end zone towards camera and the all 22 and the slash cam and all the different stuff. Mm. He just really was an incredible, um, incredible, really just incredible in every way. So it's, uh, it's, it's a huge loss for, for, for the game, uh, and for his family for sure. I'm with you in, in growing up, actually, obviously not far from you. And you know, I remember him calling like a ton of Giants and Niners games on CBS when we were kids. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I love the idea of being in production meetings with him. How was he? What was he like in those? How was he different maybe from other guys that you would have met in those situations? Yeah, listen, when you're the starting quarterback uh, and you have to do the production meeting, you're, you're kind of like, all right, let me just get through with this. Let me go. You right. know, I got, I, I've got football to do. I don't really want to do this necessarily. That's usually how you feel about it. And you go into, into a production meeting with John Madden, you're kind of like, I would pay money to be here. <laughs> this is like fun. Are you kidding me? You know, it's the questions, the answers are more like, uh, yes, sir, Mr. Madden. No, it's great because he is just like he was on TV. You know, a lot of, you know, being in TV now, you get around people and they're one way on TV. TV, and then there are another way in person being around John Madden. He was exactly who you saw on TV when you met him in person. And it was really, really special. He had great questions. He had great commentary. Um, you know, just almost it was almost like a, just a good time. And uh, it's no surprise to me, having known Brett Favre as well as I know him and, you know, knowing John Madden the way that I knew him, no surprise to me that those two guys together could just talk for hours and they may or may not even talk about football. <laughs> it's, uh, you know, just, just there's certain people you come across in life who are really special, and John Madden definitely is one of them. I was saying earlier, I've never had athlete's foot in my life, but if I did, I would go and get Tanact and just become John Madden. <laughs> like, I wouldn't well, even was, know what else to get. 
Yeah, you know, he did had the hardware store Ace, craze, of course, yeah. you know. Yeah, so and and I think for me, my dad ended with the New York Giants. You know, my dad played for four teams in the NFL, but his last team was the Bill Parcells, Lawrence Taylor, I Mark Bavaro. Yeah, and 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 like you said, though, you know, it was always John Madden calling those big yeah. Giants games, usually against the Forty ers but sometimes it was the Bears, and you know, it was Harry Carson and the Gatorade oh. bucket. I mean, really, John Madden, Harry Carson, Bill Parcells, yes. they made the Gatorade bucket a thing. I remember Madden and, circling it and like yeah. he really like <laughs> took such pride in what Harry Carson was doing. Yeah, as the telestrator. Yeah. I mean, he telestrated the entire thing. Harry Carson putting on the security jacket yes. of the the guy in the Meadowlands. <laughs> Uh, but but really, he just he was just so much so different than uh, than every other broadcast to me, and it was uh, you know like I said, it was just part of my childhood. It's what I remember, and and I know there you know there some people older than me might say uh, Keith Jackson or there's some other icons mm-hmm. and some legends, but but again, I think knowing who he was on TV and then getting the chance to know him as a person. Um, I don't know. I just made it really special for me. That's really cool. Um, the other thing I wanted to talk to you about before we dig into this week was it was it was pretty cool and unique to have you on with Pete and talking to him last week. Obviously, the show ended right after that, so we didn't get a chance to talk about it. What, what did you think of that situation and what stood out to you in talking to Pete last week? Yeah, I mean, it was great. It was kind of weird a little bit you know i hadn't talked to him in so long and so the first time i talked to him is on air you know over the radio waves uh and there's probably more that i would like to say or ask or you know it's just it's it's uh it's got to be such a tough year for him right now and it feels like he's trying and trying and trying to get get this team to play the kind of football that he knows in his head like he knows in his head what he wants to see and it's just not showing up on film and you know and 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 i think uh i think i think i don't know i guess for pete i would just say this like i feel like he's probably in the forest right now a little bit about understanding the team and he's every week he's trying to go one and oh and all that i think when he looks back at this year when they when they slice and dice the cut-ups up of the season. Well, let's watch all the third downs. Let's watch all the fourth downs. Let's watch all the first and tens. When he sits back with his staff and evaluates it, I think things will be even more clear of what needs to change and what needs to happen. And Because I recognize some things on film. Because I'm not close to it. So I think maybe it's easier for me to see because I'm, I'm mm-hmm. like 35,000 feet. There are some things that I see on film where I'm like, the Pete Carroll, like that I know, would not stand for this. Now, maybe, maybe he's frustrated by it the way that I am. But for whatever reason, this new group of players, or the players that are out there now on Sundays, they're not doing those things that I would say. These are things you can hang your hat on. Core fundament, fundamental things. Can you give me of an a example. Pete Carroll team, dogpile. Okay. That's a, that's a saying when you show up on Pete Carroll team, especially on defense, dogpile. And what does that mean? That means when there's a fumble of any type, and it might not even be a fumble. It might be an incomplete pass. There's a dogpile. There's like a pig pile. We Every single human on the field, and hey, if you're on the sidelines and you join this dogpile, that's fine with me too. You jump on that football. In the fourth quarter, Two minute, there's less than two minutes to go in the game. A game that's 24-17. There's a sack fumble. I think it was Dunlap. Here's a sack fumble, mm-hmm. a great hustle play. Balls on the ground. Pause the tape. 
Like, pause the tape. Dudes are standing around. They're on two feet. Get on the ground. Get on the dog pile. Like, what, what, what's going on? Game's on the line. Like, to me, that's like, I see it all the time. DBs standing around. Like, guys, everyone else is making a tackle. You're watching people make a tackle. You're on two feet. I don't know if you don't want to get in the snow. To me, it bothered me. It was like fingernails on a chalkboard watching it. And, like, I feel like I learned to care about that from my one year of being on a Pete Carroll coach team. And so I see it anywhere. It doesn't have to be the Seahawks. I see it on any team. And it, it would drive me nuts. But, like, that's the thing. I'm not really seeing it as much on the teams that I'm typically watching. You know, so I had that be like an example of something that is like, man, that's not the that's not the style of play that I know Pete Carroll wants to have. It's interesting. I mean, I, you know, in talking to Brock, he, he seemed to feel like he had seen them really playing hard, and specifically mentioned the Rams game as as like an example of them not quitting, not giving up, and really going out there and 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 working their tail off, even if the results didn't necessarily show it. My concern with what I hear you saying is that's not a team that, that you know, is still 100% invested in the rest mm. of the season. Yeah, there's a difference between, like, not giving up and giving effort. Like, I get, like, playing through the whistle. This is after the whistle. Mm-hmm. Like, Pete is, like, always compete. We're competing at everything. Like, everything. I remember he showed a play of an onside kick. <laughs> this is, like, the most amazing thing. He showed a play of an onside kick from, like, who knows when, way, way back. He was, like, teaching us about dogpile. And there's a scrum, and there's a pile, and everyone's on the pile, and everyone's trying to get involved. And literally, there's a dude on the sideline that's, like, standing there. He comes in. He gets in the pile. He's fighting. And who comes up with the ball? Like, who out of the dog? Who, the dude that was on the sideline somehow at the end of the play. I don't know if they gave him credit for getting the ball back. <laughs> but, like, the effort, the, the mentality, always compete. You know, like, to me, like, when I see – there's a saying on defense, and I love this saying. Okay, your love for your teammates can be measured by how close you are to the football when the referee blows the whistle. That's just pursuit and effort and passion and sacrifice and giving it up for the guy next to you. And like you never know what's going to happen. The ball might slip out. The who knows? But just gang tackle. Don't stand around the pile. You know. So like I'm not being. I guess I'm being critical but like that that's what a meeting is like the day after a game especially the day after a loss hey guys we're on the wrong uh, side of winning and losing right now it's a fine line we're on the wrong side what do we need to do to get on the right side well how how about some things that we can control and and that's just our competitive nature like we've refused to lose this game we've refused to be denied so just you know for me on that on that Carlos Dunlap sack fumble under two minutes. I would expect the deep safeties to be sprinting in to jump on that, just try to get near the ball. Never mind the people that are right next to the ball. Mm. Like to to me, that that was. Uh, I don't I don't believe that Pete Carroll would be satisfied with that kind of effort once the ball's on the ground um that would be my my uh expectation the play that's probably been uh discussed and debated the most here in seattle over the last couple of days was the third down play from the eight yard line where russ took the 14 yard sack and then they end up missing the ensuing field goal Uh, what did that look like from your perspective 
Yeah, well, it, it's it's tough. It's not the worst thing that can happen. Like you know, in that situation, you end in field goal range. I mean, certainly, certainly, I would say this: when when you study a lot of film, you watch a lot of these quarterbacks. There's some guys that are, I think, are really good players who play in a boring style of football, but but it's winning football. And they, they realize in that situation, like, hey, I don't need to be the superstar. You know, I think of Tom Brady, whose team's 11 and 4. I think of Ryan Tannehill, who's 10 and 5. You know, they play winning football, meaning, hey, under, under every circumstance here, we're leaving with a, at least a field goal and we're going up two scores. Like that, that's just kind of the, the mindset. So like, if you're going to do something special, this was a Mike Holmgren saying, a lot of coaches will say this. If you're going to try to do something special, it better work. You know, that was unfortunate. I don't think that lost the game for the team necessarily, but, um, you know, I, 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 ironically, you know, I love to do this. That was a third and four, but go back to two plays before that. It was a first and 10. And Seattle runs this really, really cool play that ends up being just like a zone read, three yard run by Russell Wilson. Mm-hmm. And I think this was designed this way. It's a zone read with a possible pitch or lateral to D Eskridge. And I, I think it's designed this way. If it's not, it will be next week because it's a touchdown. So two plays before that, it's a zone read uh, option looking like thing where if Russell were to pitch it to D. Eskridge, he's just a stand up touchdown. Now, again, I don't know if that was the play call or just they were pretending like they were going to do that. But uh, I would expect that play to get into the game plan because it's a uh, that, that was seven points easy right there. It's the first time I've seen Russell keep on a read option in like forever. Yeah, he doesn't. He doesn't seem as as uh, as quick as uh, you know. So sometimes you're dealing with injuries that you don't that, that don't make the um, the the injury report. You know, because you have a major injury. He's got the finger, but he you know he did have a ten yard scramble. I mm-hmm. think in a maybe in a two minute drive in the second quarter, which you know I hadn't seen a lot of that. So it's you know those those things are good to see. But just getting back to the third and four, because I know people will place a lot of blame, and I know it does mess with kickers when they're kind of in their head thinking, oh, it's this distance, and now all of a sudden I'm 15 yards further back or something like that. The defense did a great job of answering. Like, they, they held them. I think Chicago ends up going for it on a fourth down later that drive. They got the ball right back. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I didn't really feel like that, you know, I don't know. Oh, no, no. Chicago went down and scored after that. That was that was the second to last drive. Chicago got that, then went down, scored, had the two-point conversion, and then the Seahawks had their next opportunity. And unfortunately, you know, and this is probably where I was most critical of Russ after the game. I, I put a game like this on the quarterback because when you get the ball with a minute one left, something like that, was minute one or minute ten, one or the other, you need a field goal and you've got two, t- two timeouts. I generally expect a franchise quarterback to go down there and find points in that spot. They didn't even get a first down. Yeah, I, I would. I would. Why do you expect them to though? Because like, I just I, watch enough NFL games, and generally it seems to be. And I know I'm not playing it, but it seems to be pretty easy to move the ball at the end of the game if all you need is a field goal. Yeah, I, I'll. I'll just. I'll just say like I. I. I don't. I feel like something's off with this passing game. There's the precision isn't doesn't seem to be there. You know the the uh, first play of the game they go four by one and they try to throw a slant to DK Metcalf. Mm-hmm. It's like a perfect play call. Perfect play call. You got two two of the best at their position. You know they should be and outside leverage. You know 
it's just an incomplete pass. Like, I, I don't know if the weather was that bad or something, but like, it's just a head scratcher to me, the three and out in that kind of situation. And then he hits him on the fade later. Again, a four by one formation, DK's off by himself, one on one against uh, a backup young corner, uh, a third string corner at that, a six rounder from Oregon. You know, look him up. You know what I mean? Like, who is this? Like, it's a, it's a gimme. For a fade, for an opportunity. That was the one pass in the first half that went in the air more than five yards downfield until like the very end, I think in two minute when Gerald Everett runs like a check down and he's a scramble. That was it. Like the only completion more than five yards downfield. So like I said it before, like right now, this is a now and later offense. We either throw it right now, like less than five yards in the air or way, way later we're taking a shot. And sometimes those are hopes and prayers and sometimes they're successful, but like there just doesn't seem to be like a lot of that intermediate high completion percentage even curl routes in routes like and and so to think that it's just going to magically uh, happen in the fourth quarter but those are the uh, things that that the, this offense was supposed to bring I and mean, that's everything we heard about Shane Waldron that's everything that comes from that Rams system that we've we're told was going to be a big part of this offense yeah, I, I, I know. But, like, I just think, I, again, it goes back to the precision of the best players on the field. Like, in the third quarter, there's a third and four where it's a little stick route, a little out route to DK Metcalf. Yeah. And Russell throws it over his head. Like, you know how hard it is to throw a ball over DK Metcalf's head? But I see what Russ is seeing. DK puts, like, they say he puts a little too much sugar on the route. He, like, literally just needed to go up and out. But he kind of gives, like, a big, like, you know... I don't know, like crossover dribble type thing. And Russ has to double clutch it. Like, why are you guys not on the same page on a five yard out route? Like you're the, you're two of the best. Like, you know, do we need to simplify? Do we need to get back to basics? Do we need to get back to fundamentals? Like, I, you know, the, the precision, like to me that if you're going to call a play that like really hurt this team and losing the game, it's that third and four in the third quarter more than it's that sack that kept us in the same field goal spot. You know, it just made it harder for our field goal kicker. Yeah, that play's been talked about a little bit as well, and and I was talking to Jake Heaps about it earlier. He mentioned the double clutch and and felt like you know Russ needs to be a little bit more decisive with it. Other people have pointed to that throw as being you know a finger and an accuracy issue once again. Um, it's a five. It's a five yard route. I mean, it's a it's a five yard out route. It's like I mean, I mean, it's a five yard out route, guys. Like again, this to me, you're getting paid millions of dollars. Okay, people who get paid in milk and cookies, like can complete that pass. Like that, that would be the Mike Holmgren coaching point on that. It's a five yard out route. Get on the same page. Like uh, you're wide open. I, uh, you know, I, in that in that case right there, I sort of put the blame on the wide receiver for again putting a little too much sugar on it. But but again, you guys are supposed you're trying to be the best in the world at what you do. You got to complete five yard out routes on air. There was no defender. Things are uh, things are obviously a little tense around here, as I'm sure you would imagine. The team has lost at least ten games. They could end up uh, as as bad as five and twelve. They may end up at seven and ten. They're not going to make the playoffs. They're guaranteed to finish in last place in their division. Uh, there are people around the city that think this should be the end for Pete. There are others who think that Russ can or should or will be traded or dealt at the end of this year. Um, do you rem- I mean, you were here as as both the Mike Holmgren and Jim Moore eras came to a close. Do players are how aware are they of some of those conversations? 
I bet you it's a lot harder for players today than it was for me. Um, you know, back when I was playing, I had to, you know, for the most part, early in my career, I had to avoid the newspaper, uh, the three minutes of sports on the news, and talk radio. And today for players, I mean, they got everything, you know, from all the social media to it's just it's it's just got to be so much harder to have uh, earmuffs on or blinders on to that stuff. So they know these conversations are happening. I mean, I think they know that people are talking about it. I mean, if if uh, I'll use Cam Chancellor as an example, Cam Chancellor is an icon, a legend, uh, a role model. You know, when his Twitter feed is talking about. What things that are going to happen at the end of the year? Yeah, it, you're going to see it. You're going to know about it. You're going to hear about it, and you're going to be in mentions on other stuff. So I think that's very difficult. I'll just go back to you know, I guess we were playing the San Diego Chargers. It was the game that I threw the. I think I think I threw the most yards I've ever thrown for in a game. Ironically, in this game, and it was the last game of the year. And all the older guys on the team had been told by somebody that Mike Holmgren was getting fired at the end of the year. They're at like the next day, really. Okay, so the game Sunday, he's going to get fired on Monday or something like that. And I don't know where they got the information. Um, I don't know. Mike Holmgren told that. I like. I don't know who told him that. This was. I'm trying to think what year this was. 2003, maybe 2002. It was 2002. And thank goodness that that that, that did not happen. Like, sure, did we have the kind of year in 02 that we wanted to have? No, we didn't. But we were building something, or really, and I think Mike Holmgren was just the right guy to to be in charge. And you know, had had that decision been made differently. You know, like none of the stuff that happened would have happened. None of it. You think the Seahawks can be successful with Pete Carroll moving forward? They, they will, they will not be successful if they get rid of him. In my opinion, do you think they can be successful with Russell Wilson and Pete Carroll together moving forward? I don't know enough about that dynamic. Like everything seems to be positive. I'll just say what I can speak to. Like I was telling you guys before I came on the air, I don't even. When I watch a football game, I don't even watch it with like the broadcast commentary. You know, I'm just like literally just watching the film. Mm-hmm. And so like I'm not there. I'm not in those meetings. You know, we talked to Pete last week on your rate on this radio show and I hadn't talked to him since the previous season. So I, I really don't have like insider information. What I see on film though, I see a quarterback that is in a, in a funk in a rut, missing guys he would always hit. And I don't know what the reason is for that, but that is what I see on film. So somehow, some way, there needs to be a solution to that problem. Well, so that is what we've been talking about all week. It's the question that I've posed to every guest I've had, to the listeners, to try to figure it out myself. And it's essentially, why has a franchise, elite franchise quarterback in Russell Wilson not looked like one for the better part of a year. And the numbers show that and our eyes show that and pro football focus has them at like 26 out of 37 this year. And so we've come up with a couple of theories on that. I want to ask you about a few of them and we'll do it next. Matt Hasselbeck with me here on 710 ESPN Seattle. The Matt Hasselbeck Show, presented by Infinity of Bellevue and Linwood. Every Wednesday from 9 to 10. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. On 710 ESPN Seattle. Text message here from the 206. I don't know what you pay Matt Hasselbeck to come on the show each week, but whatever it is, it's worth it. 
This hour milk is pure cookies. gold. I was just going to say, it's a milk and cookies. <laughs> <laughs> what else, how else do you think we can entice Matt to do this? We don't I mean, money. listen, I, I, I'm repeating a coaching point that Mike Holmgren would yell at me. So if it sounds like I'm being hard on players, it's probably that I'm just regurgitating the things that coaches <laughs> said to me when, when I wasn't, you know, hitting the mark. But, you know, the other thing I think that's important to realize for, a, you know, a team that's got a, kind of struggling right now, like Seattle's 5-10, and 10, obviously that's struggling – the best teams, like the Dallas Cowboys, the Kansas City Chiefs, the Green Bay Packers, they're getting coached hard the same way. So it's not like, you know, like there's a saying in football, skin like an armadillo. Like you got to just have thick skin, take the coaching, get better. It's not like everyone's like trying to gang up on you or, you know, like that kind of thing. Just trying to get better. Mm-hmm. Win win or lose, or I guess you can say win, lose, or draw now. Like we're just coaching, tell the truth Monday, trying to get better. Here's what we need to get better at. It's funny. Speaking of those draws, did you see John Madden had like seven ties in his career? That's it? It seemed oh, like a oh. lot. 103, 32, and 7 in his career. Wow. Isn't that weird? It seems like a lot of ties. To, I feel uh, like there's more ties now, though, because of the new over. over and time. Yeah, now that it's shorter and all that. Hey, so I wanted to come back to this. So the question, of course, is why isn't Russell Wilson playing like Russell Wilson? And trying to come up with some theories as to why. A few that have come up here, one is obviously the finger and the injury. And certainly that's got to play some sort of a role. But I, I, I think it's kind of gone on since before the finger injury. Um, one is, 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 is the scheme and whether or not it's a good fit for him. Uh, we've heard the idea that as his legs are slowly leaving him, that he's not compensating enough with his arm or his mind or whatever else needs to happen in order to make up for the loss of some of the dual threat side of it. Um, how much credibility or credence would you put into any of those options? Yeah, I, this, uh, like, I don't know. I, I'm not that complicated. I'm not that big of a thinker. Like, I, to me, it's like, it's more like this. Hey, first play of the game, it's a slant route. Like, it, why it's open, outside leverage, hit the slant. Like, you, you can do that. You're w- totally talented enough to do that. Third and four, you got a quick out route, hit, hit it, hit it. You're good enough. Do it, you know? So, uh, that, that's how simple I could say it. If I was just speaking about myself, though, in my career, there was a year, 2008, where I had my worst year. It was an awful year for me. Like, statistically, there's reasons why, you know, sure, we lost some guys at wide receiver. You could point to that. I lost my quarterback coach. I got a new quarterback coach, like stuff to that. That's what if I was last really- year. Jim Zorn, it was Mike Holmgren's last year, correct. And I got hurt, and I got hurt during the year, and I was dealing with a back injury that it was like kind of a harder injury to kind of get around and play well. But like, if I was being critical of myself, I, I would probably say, I was, I think I was doing too much outside of football for me personally. You know, like I, 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 I think that year, looking back, I learned I needed to be like all in, a hundred percent in on this, and not so much the other stuff that I was kind of dabbling in at that time. And it was a good lesson for me. And then the following year, two thousand nine, the lesson I learned was I, my training needed to match that same level of commitment. Like I was, I was training in a different way. I was training not to get hurt because I was hurt the year before. And and so like there's lessons that you learn each and every year. Sometimes you got to learn the lessons the hard way. For me, 08 was a was a year that I learned the lesson the hard way. It was uh you were here one more year after that in 2009. You become a free agent. You ended up signing what with Tennessee and then and then Indy. Well, I was I was there 
I was there 2008, 2009, 2010. 10, right. Okay. Oh, I'm the, sorry. Yeah, two the, more years. The, yeah, and and those and, and quite honestly, the eight and nine were such brutal years injury wise. Uh, you know, I left a game in, a, in an ambulance. Uh, one of those, you know, against San Fran, like it was it was tough. Yeah. But after the Pete Carroll 2010 season, the Beast Quake playoff yep. game that season, yes, we had the NFL lockout come. I had fully expected to come back to Seattle. It didn't shake out that way. It was a, it was a kind of a good time to make a break for them, and uh, it ended up being good for me. And I chose to sign with the Tennessee Titans. How did you? Probably ch- tw- yeah. How? Yeah. Why did you choose that? How did you? How, what was that process like of choosing to sign with first the Titans and then Indy a couple of years later? Yeah, so for me, the two options at the time were the 49ers and the, and the, uh, Tennessee Titans. <laughs> and, and really, I just, it just didn't feel right going to the 49ers, kind of an arrival for, for us in Seattle. The Tennessee Titans seemed a little more benign. It was just like some random AFC South team. Um, and, you know, they called me and basically said all the things to me that I felt were like, were really, really important. The head coach at the time was Mike Munchak, a former player, and he he called and basically was like, "Hey, here's how we're going to build this thing," you know. And he started t- he talked about up front, like if we can't block for it, we're not going to run it, we're not going to call it. Um, you know, it was, it was it was just like I guess it was a good it was a I had two options and it was the best of the two options and it it ended up being a good year. I statistically had the best year of my career that first year in Tennessee, but uh you know, it was it, like I said, it, the decision had to be made in about 24 hours and 24 hours after that I was I was in Nashville at training camp because it was uh right after the NFL lockout. And I assume you left because of the snakes in your house. So once you decide to leave <laughs> Tennessee, just just 12 snakes, just 12 just snakes. Just 12. Dude, one snake is too many snakes. That's my rule for life. You get one snake in your house, burn it to the ground. Um but then Indy, why why Indy? Yeah, so what I so one of the reasons that I went to Tennessee is they had just drafted the the draft happened before free agency. They had just drafted Jake Locker, uh, you know, as a top pick, top ten pick in the NFL. And I didn't know Jake, but I had a lot of mutual friends who just loved this kid, just absolutely loved him. Said everything um, you'd want to hear about somebody that you're going to potentially be working with or mentoring or whatever. And, uh, and so I went there and had just an incredible experience. I was the starter the first year. He was the backup. We kind of flipped it the next year as he was kind of ready to take over that starter role, they thought. And basically, I just loved the experience, kind of paying it forward. The stuff that I had learned from Brett Favre and Doug Peterson and the guys that kind of Trent Dilfer had poured into me have the opportunity at the end of my career, what I thought was like the very end of my career to pour into someone like Jake Locker. And then after two years, um, you know, I had an opportunity to be a free agent and the Indianapolis Colts were a team on the rise, a team that was, you know, playing an AFC championship games type of a team and the chance to mentor a young stud quarterback, uh, in Andrew Luck. And I just, I felt like, again, you know, talking about paying it forward to a young, talented team with an organization that's committed to winning in every way from ownership on down. And, and that's kind of what went into that decision. It, it makes sense. And, and I, I bring it up just as we're sort of talking about what happens this off season. The other side of that is the way it seems like NFL organizations choose their coaches. And uh, I ended up playing some sound this morning from Field Yates that I thought was very much in line with what I think, which is it, it seems like NFL teams just sort of look at the four or five coordinators that are going to make it to the NFC and AFC championship games and say, all right, hire one of those guys. 
And I, 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 it, I think it's a foolish way and a limiting way of, of looking for NFL head coaches because I think the X's and O's ability that gets you to being a great coordinator may or may not translate into being a great head coach. If you were doing a coaching search, what would you start your search by looking for? What qualities do you want in a head coach? Well, n- number one, that working relationship with the GM, you know, and f- philosophically being in lockstep with your general manager. I think that's an important piece of it. But, you know, assuming that that is true, um, you know, just being a leader, like being a leader and being someone who can set the vision uh, for the organization, like where we're going, who can steer the ship in hard times. And then on top of that, like, you know, once you have that kind of stuff set in place, then obviously the game management stuff comes into play. And that's where I think you see a lot of times where someone who's a good play caller offensively or defensively struggles being the head coach. And, you know, I just, you know, you remember back to like when I was in Seattle, Mike Martz was the, you know, the, the offensive coordinator of offensive coordinators at the time, greatest show on turf. And it didn't always translate right away to being a great head coach. Uh, now he, he got there, but they were good enough to overcome it. But so you, you kind of see some of that. But again, I, I think the, the leadership part of it and, and finding someone who can really galvanize a locker room and, and set a vision for your team is probably most important. Quickly me. here, because we got to run. Is that why you said the Seahawks would struggle if they moved on from Pete? I just think Pete Carroll's a great coach. Like I really do. Um, can't, he can't do it alone, but I, I really think in, in my career, I've been really fortunate, really blessed to be around uh, a bunch of great coaches, all different styles. And, you know, I've, I've said, I've said this many times when Pete Carroll came in and I was about to turn 35 years old, I did not, when, you know, he came in from USC, I did not want to like him as the head coach, but I absolutely loved playing for Pete. And I, I really feel like there's something special about him as a head football coach that you're are not going to find in 32 and like you're not going to find it i don't think you're going to find somebody who's going to do a better job than him um but that's that's uh i'm super biased i'm sure but uh, i think he's a really good football coach good stuff all right we uh we will finish this up here matt by ranking things as we always do today's version of rank should be relatable to nearly every single person in our audience and should have a bit of nostalgia to it as well it's next mike salk show matt hasselbeck 710 espn seattle Got a list? Time to put it in order. Fred Dwarmfor's house. Top five. Top five meals that I have ever had. This is ranked. To be honest, that list was really biased. Brought to you by Carter Volkswagen. Every morning at 945 on the Mike Salk Show. That top ten list. I'm not buying that. Ranked. Well, the accolades continue to roll in. Matthew is the best. Love listening to him. I don't know if that's from Steve Rabel or not, but that's what it says. Great show. Why isn't Matt in line to be the next head coach? Matt, are you interested in coaching? Hmm. Not right now. I know that. No kids? That doesn't seem like a great lifestyle choice. Well, I'm an empty nester in two years, so right. we'll, we'll see. Wait, you know, we'll see what happens after that. Let's but, revisit. Uh, All right, time to rank things. John Madden passed away yesterday at the age of 85. Uh, famous for any number of reasons. Matt alluded to the fact that of, for our generation, he was the announcer, John Madden. But uh, ultimately, I think a whole nother generation came to know him for his role in the Madden video game. So with that in mind, Matt, we are ranking the best sports video games of all time ranked. 
Wow, this is cool. This is fun. I'm excited for this. I wish it was like a top 25 instead of a top five because right. there's so many. Like, how do you leave out Mario Kart? You know, you can't. You know, there's there's a value pick. You know, those Tiger Woods PGA. You know, you don't have to go play Pebble Beach like Sock and people who can afford to do that. Yes. You know, but you could just play it at home as a video game. But <laughs> the, not not in my top five, though. Um, number five, okay. Mike Tyson Punch Out. What do you think? How does it not belong? I mean, I. <laughs> A little Mac doing yeah, his thing. I, I, I like it. So, you know, body blow, body blow, uppercut. You know, you got to beat Glass Joe. I just, to me, that was an epic game. I remember when Mike Tyson uh, came on the scene, and that was that was just, uh, so that's my number five. Do you remember the code like to get to Tyson? <sighs> I'm too old to remember it right now. But I know it I starts like with 007, like, but I don't remember the rest okay, of it. Okay. All right. Hey, number two. Any number of baseball games I could have picked in here, but for me, I'm thinking RBI baseball was like the, the go-to game for me. But baseball is a game that on a video game, actually when I was coaching T-ball, I was living in Seattle, I was helping coach T-ball with my girls, kind of a co-ed team. The thing that no one knew what to do, like where, when to throw to second, when to throw to first, when to throw home, all that stuff. The best way to teach young kids situational baseball is just please, you're trying to get them off the screen normally, please play baseball video games. You'll all know where to go with the ball when it comes to you in the, the ball. Automatically, they hit the cutoff man and all that. They'll know it all. They'll just be like, yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> we have RBI baseball music for you. A lot of 8-bit music here today. Impressive. Okay, number three for me, and really, if, if we were to log my hours playing any one video game, this would be number one. The Sega Genesis NHL family. So mm. it started with NHL 95 for me. It's gone on to now you can get on Xbox and everywhere. But the NHL, like something about hockey on a video game is just a really great match. So for me... <laughs> I, was this the one that had what you in the background they played what should we do with a drunken sailor no I, I don't know that one I just remember the Chicago Blackhawks the right. Detroit Red Wings the Boston Bruins you know it was the, I think that's the one they're talking about in swingers too where it's like it's not just me it's just Gretzky he's good like exactly. I can't even help it all right NHL 95 that's a good one that's number yeah. three and so, so here's one for me. I, listen, I, I did FIFA. Like, I didn't grow up really playing soccer past sixth grade. I know it's a, it's an incredible sport worldwide. But my knowledge of soccer really comes from FIFA. And my fandom of it comes from FIFA. And <laughs> FIFA is a great game, much like the hockey brand where, you know, you have one-timers and, you know, breakaway goals and stuff like that. It's strategy that you're kind of learning. I think FIFA has done a great job of taking that to a video game. I'd like to see them maybe do it with lacrosse or some other sports but uh, I don't know how you feel about FIFA but I, I, I think it's okay. a solid choice number, number two, two ahead of yeah. the NHL series that's impressive that, that hurt me a little bit it was kind of tough to do but I was just thinking like at my age you know I'm in my mid 40s now right. I can just jump on and play against my kids and his friends like my son and his friends on FIFA anytime the NHL 2K, like, that stuff's kind of passed me by a little bit. Like, right. Too many buttons, too many things. Have you played, like, old, like, original Nintendo games with them? Oh, oh, just wait. Number one. Okay, we, what do we got? Just, number one. <laughs> so, for me, number one, obviously, it's going to be John Madden. It's going to be Madden. Like, it just needs one word, Madden. Did you get the new Madden? But before it was Madden, for me, it was Tech Mobile. I don't know if you remember that game. I mean, do I? It would be my number one also. 
but but Tech Mobile wasn't that great of a game. You know, you had the zigzags, you had the uh, Cap Bozo, unstoppable play. Cap you, Bozo. I played I played with the, the Dallas Cowboys. Most people oh. I know played with the 49ers. I played with the Bears. But that Tech Mobile there became once a, a, after a couple of years it became Super Tech Mobile mm-hmm. on Super Nintendo. And to me that was like as, as good as it can. Like that game I'm surprised I did as well academically as I did in college, with knowing that I had that game in my room. So, because, yeah, go ahead. It, just, it was just such a great game. And then that turned into Bill Walsh College Football, like NCAA College Football. But the only one that really last, lasted and really kind of took took over everything was was the Madden brand. So would you have considered this to be a hard count? If you just keep saying hut over and over again, does that count as a hard count? <laughs> it's great. Uh, the flashbacks, man, the nostalgia. I love it. Uh, you don't like know Pavlov's that I could played quarterback in the NFL without at some point going, ready, down, hut, 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 and just over and over again until they snap the ball. It sort of sounds like Brock Heward's cadence if I'm if if we're if we Brock's play loud. Just, if we could see that one more time. I, I think that's kind of like Let me see what I got here. Hold on. Here's here's a little bit of it. Ready, down, hut, hut, hut. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, see, the thing is, it doesn't teach you when to hard count and no. when not to hard count. No. In, in that, that's why we needed to progress. It also only gives you four plays, and if the other team calls the same play as you, you're screwed. But listen, that's the Pittsburgh Steelers' offense right now. If you watch their <laughs> offense, it's like, oh, they picked pass two. That's just what happened. <laughs> Literally, I had that segment. I, I did a thing, a Tech Mobile segment for our show this Sunday, and that was the thing. Like, oh, we picked pass two, and they did too, and that's Whoops. what a play looks like oh, in well. the NFL. Just got snowed under. There's nothing uh, you can do. Uh, All right, Matt, we got to run. Uh, thank you. This was great. Great show today. Uh, have a great New Year's Eve. Great New Year. We will talk again next Wednesday. Hey, can it was constructive criticism, by the way. Constructive criticism. It's good to hear. All right. Okay. I assume it'll be. Ta- it's always taken that way. That's generally my my experience. Skin skin like an armadillo, Salk. All right, buddy. Go. We'll talk next Thanks, week. Guys. There you go. There goes Appreciate Matt Hasselbeck. Uh, we'll be back tomorrow morning. G Scott's going to join me a day early because we're off on Friday. So we'll talk to G at eight o'clock. Uh, we have a whole bunch of other fun stuff to do tomorrow. So there you go. Uh, we'll catch you guys at six a.m. Stick around for Jake and Stacy next. Goodbye.